As you're listening to the following music selections, adjust the volume, bass, and treble controls to suit your tastes. On today's episode of Android's Dungeon, Joel in the studio, Jack in the studio, Grandes, other things, chains of food, who knows what else will show up, maybe even something involving robots in disguise. Stay tuned. Welcome to Android's Dungeon on CFRU 93.3 FM, broadcasting out of University of Guelph, Guelph, Ontario. I am Jack. And I'm Joel. Uh, you can also listen to the show apparently online if you go to our website, CFRU.ca. You can either click on the play tab if the show is live <laughs> on the off chance that you're actually listening to the show live, or you can go to the archives, and that's probably the most common place where people actually tune into the show. Um, Joel, what have you been playing recently? Uh, today at lunch, your girlfriend actually taught me... Uh, You're hanging out with my girlfriend? Yeah. Sorry. El, I learned El Grande. El Grande. Yep. What kind of game is El just, Grande? Just, it's the perfect game for people who love meeples. <laughs> <laughs> Do you like meeples, Jack? I'm fond of meeples. I think they're kind of cute. See, Kayla knew she was playing this game today, so she actually even wore her meeples earrings. <laughs> they're, they're nice earrings. I'm pretty fond of them yeah. as the one who bought them for her. If but. you meet a girl that has meeple earrings, chances are she likes meeples. It's <laughs> <laughs> pretty good. Uh, so describe El Grande for us because I learned it for the first time actually on uh, Sunday m- m- like midday around there and that was the first time I played it and it's been one of these games has been like a white whale of sorts where it's like it's been around forever and it's considered to be the granddaddy of a, an entire genre but I didn't get to try it until just recently when I picked Which, it up what genre is it the granddaddy of? the area of control like the dudes oh, on yeah. a map stuff because that's what it is just pure and simple but uh, why don't you describe I want to hear your experience of it your description of it okie dokie uh, imagine if you will a world imagined uh, looks like uh, maybe early Spain, something like this. Uh, big area, and somewhere there's a king. A king is just this giant uh, wooden block. <laughs> it looks it looks like a pepper shaker or something if your mind is in the gutter. But it's, it's <laughs> yeah. up to you. A little bit phallic. Um, and you and your opponents will surround the king with meeples, mm-hmm. little people. So there's districts. Uh, and you can't put anything in the district that the king is in, uh, but you're welcome to put anything in any of the districts touching where the king is. Uh, and it's very simple. Uh, whoever has the most meeples in each of those districts gets the most points. Uh, points are scored every three rounds. Is that right? Yeah. So guaranteed three three official scoring rounds of the game. Yep. 
So there's nine rounds of the game. Every three rounds they do a scoring round. Uh, whoever has the most meeples in each section scores. Bam. It's over. It's very simple, very fast. How long did it take you and Kayla? Uh, we did all nine rounds and probably took us about 35 minutes. That's including teaching the game. Incredible. When was the last time you were you taught, like, if you put out El Grande in front of you, do you think it would be a 35-minute game, like, with teaching involved? Probably not, no. No. Because there's cards, and you got to read the cards and figure out what they do. And, but there's just not much to it. Yeah. It's... Um, I, so the, I was a little peeved because the only version I could find is the big box version, and it comes with a bunch of expansions out of the gate, which I've heard mixed things about. Some of them, I think, maybe one or two are okay, but all of them kind of shoved together kind of feels like, I guess we can make you pay more for everything. Yeah. And it's like, all right, fine. But the the base game, like or the original game when it came out, was just cubes. So in this one, they've uh, decided to <laughs> really show you where your cash went by giving you actual meeples as opposed to... Um, uh, just bigger cubes and smaller cubes and others, but it's. I think it's really neat how. Uh, so as Joel sort of mentioned, you have this card selection technique, basically your actions, and everyone starts the game in there with their hand, uh, hand of cards uh, from one to thirteen, and in order to, you don't just start with your guys like available to put onto the map. You start with some, but you need to get more. So you have this system where you have the province which is where all everyone's meeples are basically hanging out. Kind of like imagine a bunch of peasants sitting in the field. And then you have your court where you kind of recruit them into your court. And that's when you can actually put them onto the field. And so with your deck of cards or your hand of cards from 1 to 13, which determines when you actually get to take your action. So if you take a higher action, you go first. Or hopefully higher in the, uh, in the queue. And if you take a lower action, you go behind, uh, further behind other people, but you usually get more people to pull from your province into your court. So there's this, the whole game is this interesting balancing act because you're looking at Joel and you're thinking, all right, I can go first and grab this action, but if Joel goes later and he gets more people out, he can take this other action, dump more guys over here, negating the whole reason why I went first. And then if I do it the other way, Joel's still going to do the same thing. And you're looking at them, you're at the mercy of these cards that are up there too, which do a variety of different things. So if you take a, a lower value card, you can only put one of your people out unless the card says otherwise. But if you take a higher uh, or a further up card down the line in the actions, you can put more guys out, but it's a weaker action or maybe not as versatile as some of the other ones. But I'm not like I know that that's the way it was built, but it didn't really seem that way. Like mm -hmm. some a lot of the like the threes and the fours seem pretty good. Like for example, there were a lot of threes that were. Um, you know, pick a region and score it or something yeah. like that. It seems pretty good. Yeah, it's. I, I think this is what I was trying to say to Kayla is that it would have been cool if she had gotten uh, like four or five people all together for it because I think the game would be totally different because obviously we're just describing two two-player games experience and it works. It's fine. It's But it's kind of feels a lot of and maybe this is, I don't know what your experience was, but for mine, when I played with Kayla, it was just kind of like, all right, I scored these, and then she scored these, and we're just like one province, kind of, a, or one section of the map away from each other most of the game. Yeah, because you can just take your guys and essentially split the map. Yeah. and But maybe we were being too friendly. Well, it's, yeah, it's possible. But in general, I think two players just is with most things. I I'm trying to think of games where it's, like Scythe, for example, two-player, unless you... You've chosen races like, let's say, Saxony versus someone who's who starts next to Saxony. Is it's uh, one of those guys that starts next to him who's it's, they're just gonna be batting heads the whole time versus someone on the other side of the map. So I'm just gonna do my thing. I'm just gonna do my thing, and then yeah. the game ends. That's what happens. But um, I really, really liked uh, El Grande the one time I played it, and I look forward to playing it again. I thought it was a lot of fun. I, I like the idea that it had like. 
what was it like 30 meeples or something on each color it's fantastic tons of meeples you like meeples it's the game for you <laughs> bang for buck from meeples also notice something interesting uh -huh. that um when you talk about the cards and the numbers and the numbers that you can pull from your province put into your pool so mm -hmm. that you're ready to throw them on the board um the sum of the meeples on the cards is much greater than what oh, yeah. you actually have in your province so you don't really need to ever play one or uh you know go too low mm -hmm. you can actually like i think i deliberately played one and two just to get a big pool of guys i was you know, gonna to say work from but you know build your worker ball right away you play a few more games you probably wouldn't do that you probably find some kind of balance in the middle. well that that's exactly what i find and I, it's funny that now i'm going to scythe again but it's like it's, you're finding this balance of you don't necessarily, may, depending on who you're talking to at Scythe, you don't necessarily want all your workers immediately because let's take El Grande, for example, where you can, if you're planning things, like with you've got precision-guided missiles, you can always be grabbing the cards with the right amount of, like the cards you want with the right amount of uh, people without ending up in excess, like where you're, you're like playing a card, but oh, I can't take any more, or I'm running. I can't do the action to its full uh, fullest potential because I didn't take enough to begin with. Oh yeah, let's talk. We can't uh, finish talking about El Grande without the really cool wild card that's thrown in, which is if you ever don't want to put a meeple on a specific region, you can throw it into a tower. That's right. And everybody can throw their meeples into this tower. Yeah. And then there's a couple points for uh, whoever has the most meeples in the tower. Mm -hmm. But the real key thing is is that right before scoring, right when you think you have that province, yeah. everyone takes a secret wheel and picks a province <laughs> and everything that they've thrown into that tower just... Yeah, exactly. So it's you, you think you've... And and the game even says, like, it, it tells you, memorize what other people have done. And with two <laughs> players, it's like you can kind of get a feel for it because you yeah. have to. You can't be sneaky about it. You can't just, like, like everyone's distracted by a cat or something. You just throw in a bunch of meeples in there on your turn. <laughs> no, you have to stare everyone in the eye and say, two, and clink, clink, put them into the castle. And then yeah. in one of the, in each of the scoring rounds, like Joel was saying, is that you score for whoever's the most points in the castle, and then people spin their wheel around, and all of a sudden your carefully laid plans went to hell because somebody had four meeples in the castle and just, boom, just took it over. Just took something over. And I feel like in a multiplayer game with like a bigger uh, player count, it'd be a real sort of, um, I don't want to say, uh, like World War One trench warfare type thing, but it, it, you got to go slowly. You have to consolidate what you've got and cannot be greedy because if you... I don't know what you experience in your two-player game, but I was able to, uh, on my game, to hold on to some problems with just like one or two people there versus, because there was fights going on in other places. But in a multiplayer game, it's just it's a bad investment to just leave one guy because it's not going to do anything, so I'm just going to swoop in and take it from you. Yeah, although in multiplayer games, isn't uh, second place score or something? Yeah, so that is a good point. So there are different tiers to the scoring as well. So you still get points, but... Uh, it makes me think about Las Vegas. <laughs> You know, and throw in just one die on there, see if you end up with it. <laughs> well, it's funny you bring up Las Vegas because uh, I got to play that this weekend because Kale's parents, so I went to visit uh, my girlfriend's uh, family with my girlfriend, uh, and she brought Las Vegas to them, I think around Christmas time, but maybe a previous or more recently as well. And they fell in love with Las Vegas. Like it, it is. And, and again, I think, I don't know if we say it enough on the show, but Las Vegas should be in everyone's collection because you can introduce it to people so easily and it's just such a great little i don't want to say filler game because it's almost warm-up game it's a warm-up classic game. party game and people they wanted to play i think we did three rounds of it and i lost every time which killed me i got murdered the first time like i, I was close to crying i was doing so poorly but uh kayla finished the third game i think with something like five hundred twenty thousand dollars or something crazy and i didn't 
it didn't make sense i, I talked to sam's out. mom and me and her got caught up in all these uh land land wars yeah and sam cleaned up got the got about the same score well i think that's what it is because like and, and kayla said after she won that big uh, last one with such a huge score she said she had a new strategy and it worked which scared me because i think i knew what it was i think it was more just um throwing down one dice doesn't matter where on something and watching to see what everyone else does and like when big fights start, then you just like go in and just kind of take some stuff gradually on yeah. the uh, cherry pick, cherry pick the bottom feed. Because if you think about it, just congratulations, you got ninety thousand. But if you grabbed two uh, fifties that nobody else wanted because they're garbage, then all of a sudden you're in great shape too. So it's the same, and I think I would translate that over to uh, to El Grande. I yeah. think if I was gonna play in a five player game, I'd throw one everywhere, yeah, and then throw the rest in the tower, and then pick where I want to win, and just try to snipe points here and there. Yeah, it's also too because some of the cards that come up they have provisional scoring in that if you take the action on this one cards uh, card uh, that you can immediately score all the six regions or all the four regions or all the five regions, and if you've been and I think this is where something where repeated plays comes into effect, but a veteran could anticipate certain cards kind of it's like I haven't seen the six region score come up yet, so I have a feeling it could be next round, so I'm gonna try to consolidate around here or uh, aim for this type of stuff, but. Uh, in general, I just think such a El Grande it was such a quick little game filled with interesting decisions, and I, I'm disappointed it took me this long to actually play it or get a chance yeah. to play it. We're talking about it with all these sort of oh, there's this strategy and this strategy. It's crazy simple. Yeah, anybody could play. Yeah, yeah. Uh, pick it up, give it a try. I'll give it uh, uh, 29 meeples out of 32. <laughs> <laughs> <where it's got. laughs> Just an absurd amount. It feels good too. They're just they're, they're very light and tiny. Yeah. <laughs> and you've got one grande meeple, which doesn't really do anything except it's your home region. Yeah, something. that's kind of funny. Um, so moving on from Las Vegas too. Uh, we so Joel and I were originally scheduled to have a um, an experience of this. Uh, one of I think we've talked about on the show a little bit, but uh, one of I would say maybe the best game I own in terms of mechanics and strategy and that stuff. But food chain magnet. Uh, we were scheduled to play one last week, but I think due to time constraints, Joel couldn't make it for this game, and uh, we ended up getting a, giving it a shot at the boardroom with uh, three people who never played it before, um, and that's only my probably like my fourth or fifth time of playing it, maybe fifth time, and it's still a classic. But I still every time I play it, it's a totally new experience. I'm like, what am I doing again? It's uh, <laughs> from what I saw, I think you stomped these guys. No, it was closer than it looked. By the, there were a bunch of wasted turns, and uh, Rodrigo was really on me a lot. Just to, um, so I, I think let's. I, I just want to do a, a brief explanation of what I was doing in Food Chain Magnet, just for anyone who's listening, who either forgot what the game is about or uh, wants to know more because it's a splatter game, uh, limited run type deal, uh, questionable components. Some are great. Some, the board itself is uh, so bland to be, it's almost like somebody's making a joke or playing a trick on you. Um, it's almost as bad as Advanced Civilization. Oh, it, it is. For a game that Advanced Civ, at least that came out in like early 80s. <laughs> What's their excuse? I think there's more color in Advanced Civ, to be honest, on their board than there is on the... Uh, food chain but anyway uh, so you have this grid and basically everyone picks a restaurant doesn't matter what type because some are look like they're burgers or pizza places you slap them somewhere on this map made up of these tiles and what you're trying to do is you want to be the first person with the mo to when the game ends not the first person but you want to be the person with the most amount of money when the game ends which is when the bank breaks twice first time the bank breaks you open up these 
basically secret uh, reserves which each player has selected. So some people may use $100, some people may use $300, depending on what strategy they're doing. And then the game goes on one more time. But every time I play, the reserve cards disappear in a round or two because by the time the bank's breaking, it means people's engines have turned on. And barring any sort of extreme meltdown of sort, uh, it, somebody's walking away with hundreds of dollars every turn. And uh, there's a couple ways to go about it. Are you going to be the pizza king? Are you going to be the burger king? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, are you going to be the beer master, the Coke master, the lemonade master? Are you going to be a combination of all these things because you've got uh, all these houses in your territory? But the cool part about Food Chain is that you reorganize your business every time. And the first time I played it, I felt like I was running a small business because I'm the CEO of this fictional company. And I have to have each section of my company sort of firing on all cylinders to get what I wanted from it. So it's like uh, you don't just make a burger on your own. You need to hire a burger chef. And congratulations, you made a burger. Nobody's coming in your store. Why not, Joel? No marketing. You didn't market, dummy. How are they supposed to know your store's open? You didn't put out any flyers or send uh, a guy to build a billboard somewhere. So wait, so if I advertise for a burger, somebody's going to come buy my burger, right? No, Joel. Oh, it's not yes. that simple. Because your neighbor off is making a burger, and he's closer than the people you advertise to. Or he slashed prices. The game feels a bit like uh, a caricature of uh, capitalism. <laughs> the uh, I think it's the... The Shut Up and Sit Down guys said the best way to look at it because it even explains some of the magic math in the game is to imagine you're running a mafia like a, or a, a crime syndicate that happens to be a food chain or like operating under the guise of uh, selling fast food somewhere because you can fire people on a whim without paying them at the end of the round and you get magic bonuses to your money when you with certain... <laughs> and you can, uh, <laughs> you can create a massive restaurant filled with waitresses that doesn't sell anything <laughs> and you make a fortune. Yeah, you just hire this. It's basically you're running some sort of Hooters <laughs> restaurant because you just got all these servers running around and you're just making money. But what sort of food... You're not even selling chicken wings. You're just selling this the the restaurant experience i suppose so it's um and the game lasted i think four and a half hours which was uh longer than i anticipated but it's with four players just tack on an hour for everybody is, and especially new people four player the limit no it goes up to five yeah. which and with five would be just extraordinary just insane so probably yeah for the best that i <laughs> yeah pass that one up yeah so how many have you played it once or twice joel just the one time. Just the one time. Yeah, so we need to get, it, get another one going, especially with Josh and those guys again, because it lends itself to remembering the strategy and remembering what things do, because there is a steep learning curve, and apparently the more you know about the game, the quicker you can crush somebody. So if you waste a turn or if you screw up at the beginning, which is what unfortunately happened to one of our um, one of the people we played with, Rodrigo's wife. She uh, just had this terrible start where she didn't have any... Because the way Food Chain Magnet works is that you're limited with the amount of people you can have in your business. Just like a real business, if so what if you've got... Uh, like Your CEO can only manage so many people directly under you. Everyone needs to be managed. Everyone needs to be managed, and there's no middle management. So you can hire a manager, and you can have managers underneath you, but they can't be managed themselves. And uh, so you have a limited amount of slots available, and each of these people can be like your chefs or your marketers or your boys going out to go grab drinks and stuff. But without these people, uh, you can't do anything. And if you don't have enough slots, you can't get more people. And it's just it's kind of unintuitive in a sense because you're trying to do – it's a game that lets it wants you to do everything, but there's only so much you can do. And you're trying to anticipate what Joel's up to his next turn. Like, so Joel's suddenly mar building burgers, and he's hired a discount manager. <laughs> Uh-oh. 
and all of a sudden his stuff is way cheaper and he's just taking all your he's eating your lunch literally. that was one of those things where i think that if if we were to play seriously we would have to flip them all over together because sometimes you know um i'd see josh over there with a luxury luxury uh person coming in for burgers you know and i knew he was going to be charging 15 no, 20 I, bucks for burgers and then at that point you know you want to make burgers because you know you can jack them off him yeah so that was the problem the first time we played and once again it's a classic case of jack forgetting a rule and it was you're supposed to so when you organize your business you're supposed to everyone does it simultaneously and you lock them in and i think you're supposed to all reveal them simultaneously as well but it, it doesn't really matter at that point necessarily um, and then, so that's a stop of the scenario Joel was just describing where you decide you hire a luxury manager. So you want to make your stuff way more expensive. And then, but then you look over and the player that's going last has, <laughs> has hired a discount manager and they're just going to make things cheaper or, yeah. or vice versa. Probably. It pretty much only works when, um, like what, what I'm saying is luxury manager pretty much only works when you're the only one yeah, you exactly. got a corner on the industry. You're the only one producing it. And I know there was a, there's one time and I felt uh, I was, I was angry at myself because apparently Rodrigo dumped his discount manager at some point. And there was a moment where enough restaurants had popped up around him that would have sucked up his demand and he wouldn't be able to fulfill my demand. So I could have dumped my luxury manager because I was the only game in town in that section. And I could have added 10 bucks more to everything I was selling, but I wasn't watching that he fired. Then- Picked up the remainder. Pick up, yeah, exactly. That would be great. And there's salaries to keep in mind too. It's just there's so much stuff going on in the food chain, and it, it's it really is. It's a bit of a brain burner, but it's not it's not mathy necessarily beyond just trying to add up, like with the distance and trying to figure out am I the closest and cheapest place or is Joel yeah, going to take distance it? plus cost? It's yeah. a simple. Yeah, yeah. But <laughs> I could just imagine right like that in real life where um, Mark's or sorry Rodrigo's generated um, maybe. Uh, three hamburgers and he sell them for five bucks each and yeah. then there's a lineup and yeah. then he's sorry sold out yeah, yeah. And you're like yeah i've got them over here i'm gonna charge you 15 bucks a piece <laughs> that's exactly what it was though it's, that's, that's what i was hoping for at one point because he had and something else and I, I feel like i'm nerding out about this game a little bit here but for anyone like if you don't know what i'm talking about it may be a little esoteric but something you can do in this game is that if the first person to throw away food which is that in this game Food doesn't last. Nobody has invented refrigeration technology in the world of food chain magnet until someone throws away something for the first time. And that gets into what the when the huge and most difficult parts about food chain really wrap your head around are these milestones. And the first person do something and multiple players players can do it on the same turn. But the first player players to do it get this milestone, which is a giant bonus to the to their organization. And after they do it, if nobody else got it, that's gone forever. You can never get this achievement ever again, basically. And one of the achievements that you can get is the first person throw away food gets a magical fridge that can hold up to eight things in it. And it's kind of scary because if you're overproducing, all of a sudden you've got this fridge filled with all these uh, goods in here. So if you're not paying attention, you look at Joel and say, that dummy, he only made one burger this round. I'm going to, he can make him fill one of these orders, but I'm going to fill the rest. And all of a sudden, oh, wait, never mind. He's got a fridge filled with burgers and drinks and everything else. And um, the fridge was fantastic. The fridge is useful. And the the other key thing about the fridge is that uh, producing food takes up a spot. And yeah. if you want to be producing and selling it on the same turn, there's your minus one spot just yeah. by making the food. Uh, you got a fridge, you can do it every three rounds if you want. Yeah, yeah, that's a good point. I didn't think about the idea of like um, just producing this food and storing it up and then... Oh, and like later on too, because any of the really good guys require salaries. So that's costing you $5 a person a turn. And theoretically, you could just imagine, like, you could produce. HR amount. <laughs> Pardon me? 
you get the HR manager and not pay them. Oh yeah, true. There's the HR <laughs> manager. There's also like the milestone of the uh, first person to train somebody. You get fifteen dollars oh, yeah. in free salary, which I think is it's essential, borderline essential in the game. Uh, but anyway, lots of different avenues to success in uh, food chain magnate. Um, so I think off to, on that note of uh, kind of <laughs> talking too much about this. That was fun for us. <laughs> <laughs> Hopefully somebody enjoyed it. I mean, it's, if you did, uh, feel free to shoot us an email at, uh, I believe it's androidsdungeon at cfru.ca. I don't know if I can get those emails yet, but uh, maybe one day. We'll pick it up. It'll get sent. I'll 2018. Read, it. <laughs> read it later. Uh, or you can follow us on Twitter, which I think is uh, AD, uh, radio, AD CFRU Radio, something like that. If you search Androids Dungeon uh, Radio, it'll come up. So something along those lines. So 50 million followers so far. It's it's out of control. Those bots I bought, really. <laughs> <laughs> worth their weight in gold. Worth it. Uh, all right. So we're going to take a quick little break, um, listen to some music, and uh, we'll be back with some more uh, scintillating discussion. We can get pumped up on some Elvis. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I can't remember the last time somebody said that CFRU was probably uh, Elvis was alive it's at the time. Too mainstream. <laughs> <laughs> All right, stay tuned.
Welcome back, CFRU 93.3 FM. We just listened to uh, probably the most famous Elvis song by for <laughs> millennials, Gen Xers, I don't know, yeah. next to uh, Viva Las Vegas, mostly, I don't know, Dead Kennedys. Making Elvis great again. Making Elvis great again. As if Elvis, the king, needed to be made great again. Right. Actually, I had uh, a sandwich the other day. Have you ever had an Elvis Presley? Uh, wait, hold on. Before you don't give it away, is it give it away, give it away now? Is it a peanut butter sandwich with, uh, f- I want to say, bananas on it and two. bacon? Three. Um, and uh, jam? Close. Three for four. The last ingredient is honey. Honey. Oh, see, okay. Ah. Peanut butter, banana, honey, and bacon. Which, honestly, folks, come on. Doesn't that sound incredible? <laughs> Not that bad, right? <laughs> the only real anomaly there is the is the bacon. It's It gives you the savory. Yeah. And, I, and this is going to be something that may gross out our listener, but peanut butter on your burger, give it a shot. Oh, Please try delicious. it. Especially, I'm not, if you can use Skippy or Kraft or whatever if you're in a pinch, but if you've got the organic... And not organic, just like the the actual normal non uh, like Adams, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like the real peanut butter. Put it on your burger. My God, you are entering a world of taste sensation, and a little bit of hot sauce, like maybe some sriracha or some Franks, and you got a very Asian flavored. Uh, yeah, like peanut sauce. You know? Yeah, like like a peanut sauce exactly. Uh, and uh, anyway, that was the uh, little, little Qu- more the cuisine section, the cuisine of section <laughs> based around Elvis song in the video. By the way, Did you wonder why he died. Uh, <laughs> he died a obesity. legend. <laughs> <laughs> obesity, painkillers, and you know the man shot televisions to turn him off. So it's like, it's something we can all aspire to. I think. Uh, what were you thinking about the video? Well, I was just going to say the video, because I couldn't find just the actual song, uh, at least of a reasonable quality. But the video is this bizarre, I guess it's not bizarre, I'm just, in, but it's this uh, quintessential 2000s sort of thing with these bright Ikea lights and it's European. But it looks like something from, do you ever see Cabin in the Woods? Oh, yeah. You know how all the monsters are in their own in little their own <laughs> cubes boxes, and boxes? Yeah. The video Storage. for this song, yeah, the video for this song has all these people of uh, various ethnicities and occupations kind of dancing around in their cubes. So, but in my <laughs> mind, when I thought, this is this a nightmare world where these poor people have been sealed? Or maybe they're in the monsters? And they just have to listen to, <laughs> and listen to Elvis, Elvis on repeat. There's a, like, if they don't, they, they shock the floor. Or, I don't know. Yeah, that's right. It's like, keep dancing, keep, keep dancing. looking. Keep looking happy while we play the song, or or you get it, <laughs> or you get it. Oh, that's good. Um, anyway, the Elvis song, it's uh, it's fine. <laughs> it's a good. It takes me back. It reminds me a bit of a Black Mirror episode where this guy was. Uh, 
Don't spoil uh, too much. He, they have to ride on these bikes to um, power basically the world. Oh, interesting. They're providing electricity. Um, but you generate income oh. by riding on the bikes. Uh, and then you go back into your cube. <laughs> and if you... Um, you have to watch these ads oh, okay. and they're really just horrible ads yeah. uh, for various things. And to skip the ad, you have to pay some of your, ah. <laughs> it's <laughs> not too situation. far away. <laughs> <laughs> well, what is it? YouTube red uh, was the whole thing with that is that you can actually, you're not exposed to ads anymore. And it's fairly common on um, websites like yeah. uh, to, to get rid of advertisements and uh, for people who haven't somehow figured out how to oh, use you block. Really bad is uh, the, I can't remember. It's a, it's a Microsoft phone now has ads on their keyboard. I, I think I heard about it. It's dirt cheap, isn't it? But it's, yeah. it, but it, there's, there's nat- literally native ads on your phone. Like they're not, <sighs> and I think Windows 10, I just saw an update or something saying that they're, and it could be, maybe it's for the edge. So if you're using the touchscreen portion of it or something, but they're, they're injecting ads into your operating system. Imagine you're opening Office and it says, okay, you just need to watch this 15 second ad or oh you can God. pay us $2. Black Mirror was real. <laughs> it's just horrifying. Absolutely, absolutely scary. And speaking of horrifying technology, um, and I'm curious about this, Joel, because I know you've got something to say and I think I've got a good segue for it, but... As I was walking in the studio for this recording, um, and it could be just my bugaboo, and as, as a nearly 30-year-old human being who didn't grow up with a smartphone, it's kind of alien to me, but I was walking in the studio, and a father's walking by, and I'm assuming it's his son uh, is trailing behind him, and his son is holding on to what looks like a cutting-edge iPhone, or at least like a year or two behind, so pretty recent-looking thing. And it, I just saw this child holding on to this piece of giant technology, and it it repulsed me. I, I thought that there was no reason for this kid to have a, a smartphone. How old is he? Seven, six years old. Just not, I'm not talking about teenager, even though I don't like that either. <laughs> but I, I just don't like teenagers <laughs> anyway. But just the, the kid. It just it struck me as very young to have something so powerful. It's like handing a, a desert eagle to a baby. It's like you start with a Glock, work your way up. <laughs> I don't know. But what are your thoughts, Joel? Do you think this sort of this so scale of technology is acceptable? Or do in you think- this scenario, you probably would have felt better if you saw him with maybe a Zune or a Zoom. <laughs> <laughs> Something from the 90s. Well, I, I thought you were just making a joke about an iPod. An iPod. Well, something that wasn't wasn't an Apple product. Maybe I would have felt better. It's like, good. Support someone else. It's fine. They got enough money. But uh, yeah, sorry. Yeah, I mean, I guess parent parents want to keep an eye on their kids, so they give them. I, I don't think that you're ever gonna let a seven year old out of your sight. But yeah, uh, that's kind of the generic excuse for giving a kid an iPhone. And I think there's a lot of sort of tech there for locking down a phone yeah uh but i agree i think um i just want to say like i can't prove that it was the child's phone it could have just been the father's phone that he let the kid carry although if i'm just trying to put myself in that position i don't think my father would have let me hold on to his <laughs> smartphone <laughs> as if i was that age get chocolate on it or something or drop it well i wouldn't risk it right yeah um how do I <laughs> go from that into my review? Well, so I was going to say, speaking of uh, technological abominations. <laughs> yeah, abominations. So uh, I like to, you know, look at newspaper reviews of films sometimes just to get a general outline of uh, where they stand. Mm-hmm. Chris Knight, I know that you like Chris Knight. Yeah. 
at the post and then uh, globe and mail as well is available at my work so i read it um it's probably more than most people there gave this film the first time i've seen it zero stars gave it the most repulsive hateful review i've ever seen (laughs) just basically said it was a middle finger to film or something like that it couldn't be there's no way it's that bad uh transformers what is it the last night is it called yeah you know when they told me that title i thought it was gonna be set in like they were doing something that would have been totally hilarious is like transformers in king arthur's days that's what i thought they were doing it was so cynical there is a section of the film where King Arthur actually convinces a three-headed robot dragon to fight against the Saxons. <laughs> so you're bang on. on. You're kidding. No, it's not a joke. I, I, uh... I wish it was a joke, Jack. But this, <laughs> this movie felt like a joke, according to the reviews. A lot of yeah. people said, you know, there were times where it seemed like they were parodying themselves. But let's let's take a sec back here. Yeah, yeah. So this is Transformers 5. Yep. There's There were three... Um, very successful franchises. That's putting it lightly. Uh, worldwide, huge sales. This movie, not successful. It, was it uh, not? So this is the difference between, uh, and I think 4 was was kind of mediocre yeah. as far as sales, but um, what's gone wrong yeah. is sort of the question that we're going to ask. <laughs> I mean, obviously all of the movies were awful, but people watched them. Actually, I mean, hold on. I'm going to defend. I, it's funny because I had this conversation in Korea with a guy. Um, and this was, it was after, I think we saw a Transformers film in Korea or somewhere around there. I think some, one of them came out at that time. And, uh, I think, no, it was, I think it was the third one with Leonard Nimoy. Did he voice the, uh, the Autobot leader who betrays them all? And, uh, I think so. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I've always found the, the Transformers, like h- hating on Transformers always felt like low hanging fruit to me because it's, it's such an obvious overproduced product designed to sell uh, sell butts and seats and popcorn and toys and like just the the giant trademark in the title is enough almost to just say like <laughs> this is a corporate product you, what, what are you looking for right yeah um, and I, I thought they were visually kind of interesting at times too like the special effects were fine even if it was chaotic and just they're dumb movies but I always felt that the fight scenes were a lot too sort of that zoomed in spinning oh yeah where yeah, you yeah. just can't comprehend what's going on and you don't care see but born identity kind of did something like that too where it had this super kinetic sort of a born identity's fight scenes were so visceral and so cool and they weren't in slow motion no yeah and everything was just perfectly choreographed yeah you've got a lot of kind of like stuff moving around and transforms different colors and uh, i don't know (laughs) anyway sorry go on sorry for the interruption it's also hard to care in the in the concept of all these humans walking around under giant robots trying to be relevant yeah yeah. (laughs) like why do i care about mark Wahlberg's feelings when (laughs) (laughs) there's clearly two gigantic robots who have a beef with each other it's like but it sounds like a pretty cool fight you know you've got your three-headed dragon and your um uh, a whole bunch of robots fighting some other robots coming in from space or something like this is what's going, going on in this film. <laughs> what a cool fight scene, right? Uh, so who do we blame? So I, I, I read this article. It's basically saying it's not Michael Bay's fault. Who do fault. we blame? <laughs> <laughs> so what went wrong? Did Michael Bay direct this of all of his films, hold clearly. on. I wonder, I'm gonna, I'm gonna take a guess. I'm gonna say it wasn't Michael Bay's fault because he did everything he was supposed to. He signed up, did the job, 
and walked away with a product that on paper resembled everything else that he's done before. Well, the thing is, yeah, that's, that's kind of true in that Michael Bay, one thing you can count on him is that he he never changes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he's, You're getting a product. He's he Yeah, he is that, those kind of films. Um, I'll tell you what went wrong, according to this article. Yeah. And it starts with um, the confusion that is six editors. Six editors? Wow. Six editors. Uh, now, typically a film has one, possibly up to three credit editors. You Some see guys like editors, a director sitting down doing it too, like being part of it. I'm just going to read these names off. Um, Mark Sanger, director or editor of Gravity. Okay, incredible. Right. Uh, John Refue for Avatar. Okay, man. Roger Barton, Titanic. Uh, and, uh, and obviously uh, Armageddon, going yeah, yeah. back to Michael Bay's right. maybe one good film. <laughs> um, <laughs> no Bad Boys fans amongst us. <laughs> yeah, all right, Bad Boys. Yeah, I'll give them that. Um, but anyway, six editors. The confusion is obviously shown. How do you even, how would you work with six editors? Or is it just like, again, going back to this product of this factory uh, committee created film, then it's just like, okay, uh, Herbert, you got uh, minutes one through uh, 22 and then just go on down from there. I don't know. Well, maybe they didn't have a good uh, screenplay to work with. Right? <laughs> Who cares? Blame the screenwriter, right? <laughs> yeah, right. What's that from? We can't uh, do that, Martin Jack. Fink? Is, we yeah. can't blame the screenwriter <laughs> because Aaron Kruger who had written the previous films is gone. Obviously related to Freddy Krueger. Replaced him again with the whole team of screenwriters. How do you need it? And they call it the Transformers Writers Room. Oh my god. And these this they've created a team that's basically dedicated to churning out Transformers Why movies not? for the next 10 years. Why not? I saw something rela- sort of related to this, and it's that, and it filled me with dread. And it was the the Disney release schedule for Marvel films, and there it, I don't think it's one every quarter, but it's it's so regimented that if you look down, they've got it all planned out. Where you're always going to be bombarded with one of these films at a certain time. And now because of uh, Star Wars license, if you're not being bombarded, if a if a Marvel yeah. film isn't in there, there's a Star Wars film. And if it's not a mainline Star Wars film, it's a side story in the Star Wars universe. And they want to do all a bunch of like young Han Solo it's and annual. Rogue One. It's just it's everything, and it, it's. I, is it Christmas time? It's Star Wars exactly, time, Jack. But, well, to be fair, Lord <laughs> of the Rings kind of did it too for a bit. Like you had, it was Christmas time. Lord, one of the Lord of the Rings films was going to come out. And these were the days too before they would have split up the last uh, movie into three parts <laughs> or something. Kind of like what they did for The Hobbit, but that's something else entirely. The Hunger Games. The Hunger Games. Pointless splits in the two. Uh, Harry Potter. Harry Potter. Although that was kind of needed, I guess. But well. That kind of bugged me. Yeah. yeah. And I was, I guess I could say, I was mad when Kill Bill was split into two, but when you have two excellent films, very yeah. different, but uh, it worked. It worked to me. I enjoyed the dichotomy, yeah. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, I think you gotta, you gotta hope that maybe in this, this tightly controlled environment, maybe there's some room for creativity and maybe bucking the norm and somebody really doing something interesting. And, um, it's not a perfect example, but you look at, let's say, Logan, which was a mainline superhero film, but they did do some things that were slightly different, and you ended up with a film that's rated R, and it, what, it felt better than the average superhero movie. I don't think it's an outstanding movie, but it's still good. Deadpool, again, it's it's yeah. by on paper, and if refreshing, you look at it, right? Refreshing. That's probably the best way to do it, where it just feels... Would you like to see Nolan 
write and direct a Transformers film? Yes, absolutely. I'd love to see what Christopher Nolan would do with, <laughs> with mainline, or I don't know, give us a side story, like give us Bumblebee's origins, <laughs> directed by Crystal, Christopher Nolan. Uh, so speaking of uh, franchises, and now we are, we're going to move right back to the uh, kind of the original premise of the show, and we're going to talk about good licensed games. Um, that can be a video game or a board game, but basically when we say license, we mean, um, so it's Transformers, the board game, and it turns out to be one of the greatest Euros ever made. And it's, oh, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's, it's about building the robots and sending them off and... Actually, that sounds pretty good. Rosenberg presents <laughs> Transformers. Well, you know, you joke about that, but if if he did it, yeah, mm, who knows what uh, he could do? <laughs> I think so there'd be some very disappointed people picking up this like <laughs> Gricola style yeah. Transformers game. But um, so Joel, I'll get the ball rolling with, uh, and I'm gonna we're gonna I'm gonna go all over the place here because the first thing that comes to mind, I think, uh, for someone who grew up playing video games in. Uh, early 2000s I'd say well I guess it was late 90s late 90s for a great licensed game Nintendo 64 007 Goldeneye uh, a game that by all accounts should have been just a cruddy uh, Doom knockoff for the Nintendo uh, 64 but turned out to be one of the most legendary um, console first person shooter multiplayer extravaganzas out there I, I played the hell out of this game multiplayer hell out of this game I still will play it occasionally my arm still hurts where my friend smoked me in between a muscle because uh, <laughs> I, sm- I got a headshot with a Moonraker laser in facility or not facility uh, stacks or archives or something like that it's still fun frame rate not so good but uh, you can put up with that uh, so I would say I'm going to get the ball rolling with Goldeneye as my one so what, what makes Goldeneye there's so many first person shooters out there what made Goldeneye so fun I think it was just this accessibility because I grew up I had a computer and a console and the computer you, if you wanted to play multiplayer somebody had to go online and in those days it was dial up and it was annoying to hop online for a child because I had a lot of trouble figuring this stuff out maybe if university or in labs and stuff you were, you were playing land doom constantly and, and all that stuff but for Goldeneye cartridge in or (laughs) cartridge in (laughs) and then you see the logo you see all that stuff boom within 30 seconds you have a multiplayer game lined up and you're just no odd jobs you're just killing each other how about that split screen and that split screen exactly everyone can see everyone like you don't want to land hack which is you gotta like you don't want to keep an eye but you got to do it a little bit just keep an eye on them but it was just it was the accessibility i think that's what and maybe this is where like this kind of this, I would say, without trying to sound too pretentious, but maybe this is where this board game resurgence is coming from because people just don't sit down and play games together yep. anymore versus a board game where you're required to sit down and play together with other people. So there's this communal aspect where you're sitting there and you're cursing out your buddy for uh, ganking you or doing stuff like this. And maybe, I don't know, maybe land cafes or land parties are going to come back in the style in the West because this just, I, I think people are too... I'm up for it. I'm... Joel knows I've been talking about <laughs> wanting to land stuff for a while. one day. <laughs> one day, we'll s- actually. Why Wait don't we? Wait till the weather kills down a bit. This will be the uh, the hint at the Androids Dungeon land party. <laughs> dun, dun, dun. We'll we'll do something about that. So stay tuned. We'll plan it out. Broadcasting live. Broadcasting live. We'll have to censor everything. <laughs> <laughs> this language gets salty at these things. Uh, so Joel, what would you say? What's the first? Uh, if you had to pick well, a good license game. First, I want to comment on GoldenEye because okay, I sure. played a ton of GoldenEye. We had it at our... Um, Were you allowed to play GoldenEye? Church youth group. Come on. Uh, hangout <laughs> center. I can't remember what it's called, but the you know the lounge. Yeah, yeah. 
Um, and we played, yeah, for hours and hours. You, I was going to ask you, do you think, uh, as we got a little bit older and yep. into high school and everything, do you think Halo, the, the original Halo kind of replaced GoldenEye? Not for me. I never had an Xbox one, or an Xbox original. Um, I could easily, I agree with you though, because the few times I did play it, I had tons of fun playing split screen Halo. It, it felt, it was quick to pick up and fun and arcadey enough. And there was just the mechanics were kind of there. You could get really good at it. It was and you know you could use crossover cables or even just a switch Set up TVs to connect and, yeah, multiple yeah. We Xboxes. Did that once, yeah. And all the time we could play 16 player capture <sighs> the flag. And this was way back before online play. Extremely envious. I only did it once. I think at a um at our high school grad sleepover, we had a bunch of uh, TVs wired together with Xboxes and yeah. Halo and just And just imagine you've got the flag and you're running away and there's <sighs> eight people trying to kill Everyone's you. Everyone's coming after you got banshees on the warthogs backing you up, <laughs> gunning the enemies down. Oh, but that's man. Not... trying to sneak through the tunnel. Absolutely. So Halo was I would say it was GoldenEye for another generation. The single player, maybe if you grew up with it, you enjoyed it. Where I, I never really loved the single player Halo experience, but uh, uh, the multiplayer, I think it remains unrivaled for as far as um, maybe the console, at, at least in that era, especially with this the burgeoning online connectivity, Xbox Live and its um, original in- incarnation. Yeah, and it's funny. We talk about gameplay, and, and gameplay in GoldenEye, uh, you know, maybe it is kind of clunky because you do kind of have to point your whole body as you're shooting and everything. Um, but I think it comes down to the maps, which is kind of funny. The maps are what make games great. Like you think about the dust or uh, <laughs> it's um, funny you say the dust. That's two towers. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, two tower, two fort. Uh, two fort. Yeah, you've got you know Unreal's uh, uh, opposing worlds. Where you've got the two towers on both sides and uh, sniping down. Is the gravity from messed side, up? And there's that a big one? bridge through the middle. Yeah, yeah. Um, a lot of people grow up with Quake Three again. That's another one of these. Uh, yeah. But sorry, Team Fortress Two's map, which is basically the only one map, but <laughs> that's all they needed. <laughs> yeah. oh, man, some of these maps you're just never gonna forget. It, and sorry, please. You really gotta work hard to de- to design something that's that balanced. And it's also a part like it's pretty basic you just mirror it. symmetry and that's why some of these pure maps for the most part are just it's great because everyone's on the equal footing you just have a central area and with because joel's mentioning team fortress here i grew up playing a lot of uh the quake one original version of team fortress and playing that online through like what was it called like uh, game spy like login service these ancient programs for that stuff but there were tons of fun. You, you'd you make friends with guys in Russia that you're playing with because you found a good server and they like the same server and you're rocket jumping around <laughs> and you're you're being a loser scout, <laughs> just capping the flag constantly when other people are like, we are not uh, playing capture flag. We blow each other up. Yeah, yeah just nobody's Nobody paying cares. attention to the objective. Yeah, yeah. Um, another math that reminds, like just every single MOBA, every, t- every single ripoff of, ripoff of dota has come up with they always come up with oh here's our new map like try our new map we'll nobody give you gold cares. if you play our new map nobody cares. we'll give you all this in-game credit nobody's playing it everybody just plays the standard uh three lane dota map which is nuts you think somebody could have come up with something that's that it's <laughs> slightly different just maybe it's just nostalgia nostalgia or maybe the game would break and that shows how fragile dota 2 is or or does lol do the same thing 
lol heroes of new earth uh heroes of the storm uh, there's a ton of them yeah it's it's just it, it's odd that nobody and i think people have tried there was this push in at a certain time with um uh to kind of do like the first person moba um which is what overwatch wants to be um as somebody who hasn't played it but has like been around people who've played it a lot enough and kind of know about it it just i don't understand the appeal of overwatch beyond just the blizzard logo on it and it's like you could just play team fortress 2 or you just play i don't know dota but i guess it scratches your itch for these goofy colorful characters doing goofy colorful stuff i mean josh bought it for me and it's a lot of fun i gotta admit yeah that's fine you know what and maybe it's just his age thing because maybe if i was maybe at university when it came out and had a lot more free time on my hands i would have picked it up and like get good with it but now it's like (laughs) i just don't have the patience (laughs) to get destroyed constantly yeah, and you are going to die and lose a lot before you start uh, getting kills. And I'm also mad at Blizzard still for a lot of other stuff, so they're not seeing a dime from me for a while. Uh, but and What were we talking about? Well, we were talking about licensed games, yeah. but it's it's more. I think it's morphed into just like multiplayer sort of video games or like electronic games that are just fun to play with other people because there's a. am mostly a single-player game, if I can. It's rare that I'll play multiplayer games, mostly because... I just don't have the patience to go online and kind of figure out the mechanics and the meta game. And I don't like just getting crushed relentlessly because then I look and just think, why am I doing this? I'm playing Scythe if I want to lose constantly. <laughs> yeah, and, you know, there was a time where I loved playing online, but I'm getting to be with you on this and that I think this is, you're dead on as far as board games coming back in that people want to be physically in the same room. Mm-hmm. And uh, when you think about, yeah, our split screen, I had this friend just, he always cheated. He was always <laughs> screening. You always knew he was screening. Well, that's just part of the game. It's just a skill you need to develop. Uh, Get out of here. Like, yeah, you're yeah. just sitting there watching, waiting for me to, to make my Well, moves, especially so. if the guy's just camping or something. And then it's like, what, what are you doing, yeah, bud? Like, he'll stare at the wall because he knows where he is. And that way you can't screen him. And he'll stare at the wall. And he'll just know, wait for you to come around. Ah, that's <laughs> cheesy. Cheesy. <laughs> Cheese boom. Where is our scum? Get out of here, the scum. scum. There it is. <laughs> um, I have a friend who, uh, he's my only rival in Goldeneye. And, but he only plays one one exact style of the game. And he'll play um, uh, License the Kill, which is one-hit kill regardless. Uh, pistols. And facility, and the reason he plays facility is because he's memorized the spawning algorithm. So depending on where people are, and in a multiplayer, like a four-player game, it maxes things up. Two-player though, he can potentially lock you into this terrible feeling. Spawn kill. <laughs> spawn killing you basically, and unless you get really lucky and can manage to like dodge him away, but um, I don't quite put it on the level of like constant screen hacking. And but. You, there is a little I think everyone does a little bit but when it's just flagrant and like somebody looking at the ground because they've already looked where you are and now they're just like I don't know <laughs> spying at you <laughs> yeah it gets a little ridiculous but I, I it could just be that I'm too old for this stuff now and maybe it, the uh, the next generation of Android Dungeoners will come on and be like you remember playing Overwatch and how much fun it was growing up together playing this game and it's magical it was magical and it was like a special time which I, I don't know I, it doesn't feel like the wild west of of games anymore where it's like you had to work hard to find these servers and you had you found a good server and you made friends with them it's everyone wants the 
to control everything. Like, I don't even know if Overwatch is dedicated servers. No, of course not, because it's all ranked. It'd be like StarCraft II dedicated, um, which you're losing right there, and you don't have those mods. Like, when you used to play CS, and you'd have, um, like, Warcraft mod. Do you remember those? Where you have, like, <laughs> you get kills, and you can yeah. level up uh, different things. Or the superhero mod, which was so much fun. <laughs> or, or Matrix mod, where you can choose, like, to be an agent, or this, uh, the uh, ghost the twins or whatever. flying through. Oh, the surf maps. Surf maps, yeah. And and uh, tank where or a crazy crazy tank where you're trying to pilot this tank around and the physics are all wonky. And it's, it's coming down to the maps. Yeah. And map editors, good map editors are. Let your users be creative. All of a sudden, you get this incredible stuff. Absolutely. And now it's funny you bring up map editors because and then you I, rip it off. Yeah. Then, <laughs> then you go sell it again and you put hats on it and you call it a day. Um, I saw something today with. Uh, a fellow, I, I think it's for it's use an N64 to emulator to run it. But a guy has made a Mario 64 leveled uh, Mario Maker, and it looks super intuitive and easy to do. Where there's a little video floating around where he just effortlessly builds a a level um, from scratch by just like like all the controls are there, and you're using an N64 controller ostensibly to toggle between the objects, and you can shrink and change the textures and put them wherever you want, and spawn enemies and put invisible blocks and all stuff. But What's kind of cool, and this is where the real sort of the going back to StarCraft and Warcraft 3, where these mods came out because people had map editors associated with them so they could do what they wanted and kind of play around with it. And especially StarCraft, where you had this rudimentary sort of trigger system and uh, triggered and all this other <laughs> stuff to like create events that Warcraft 2 couldn't do necessarily, which was a big step. But I don't know, it's just something special. It is really. Uh, giving people the ability to make something changes yeah. changes the game. It's funny that the the creators of the games didn't need to throw in these, you know, facilities. No, like think about Age of Empires, and you just pl play the game, play the campaign, play the multiplayer. That's fine. That's a game in itself. But then all of a sudden, you can just take jump into the map editor, make any game you want. <clears throat> and the level of variability that allowed for um, you know, it wasn't just uh, where where do your units start and everything like that. You like, think about all the things you could do in Dota as far as um, items and modifications of uh, crits and and disabling and everything like that. They threw everything in there. Oh, well said, Joel. What else can we talk? <laughs> just a uh, semi semi rambling, but I think it was fun fun something that a lot of people forget how to do in games and conversation and life check out check, check out star wars <laughs> video games star wars video actually there were plenty of great star wars video games we completely missed dark forces Jedi Knight. The films some of them yeah i'd rather play some star wars games in the movies yeah. now anyway i'm jack turns out you're the bad guy in it joel yeah. i'm joel <laughs> this was spoilers Stay tuned for also, the Also, wait, show. one more spoiler. Uh-oh. Um, you'll never guess this, but Transformers at the end, they're set up for a sequel. Transformers oh. 6, here we go. Get that Transformers room warmed up. There's no hope. There's no hope. Have a good day.